are you more likely to have a heart attack on the keto diet because of all the fat that you're eating? It is something of a roll of the dice, but the answer is quite possibly. They looked at 262 folks and what they did was they put them on an intensive keto diet. Their total cholesterol, despite that weight loss, went up by 8.1 milligrams per deciliter and their bad or LDL cholesterol went up by 10%. Again, that's not what we would expect to see in a diet where you're losing an average of 14 kilograms or 30 pounds, right? That's a significant weight loss. So it looks like people's heart disease risk is actually going not in a direction you want it to go. Welcome to the Exam Room Podcast, brought to you by the Physicians Committee. Hi, I am the weight loss champion, Chuck Carroll. Thank you so very much for raising your health IQ with us. This is episode 69 of season four, number 264 overall. And today we are putting the spotlight back on keto. Is it a weight loss solution sent from heaven? Or is it a heart attack waiting to happen? We'll be weighing the pros and cons of keto today with dietitian Lee Crosby, who just published what many consider to be the most in-depth and comprehensive review of the keto diet to date. She and her team of experts analyzed data from more than 120 studies to see where keto actually shakes out for your health. And since this is an interview from The Exam Room Live, she was also kind enough to answer questions when we opened up the dietitian's mailbag. We've got questions about heart attacks and someone wondering whether the high amount of fat that's found in the keto diet will indeed make you more likely to have a heart attack or whether the fat is being burned so quickly on keto that it can't harm the heart. We have someone else wondering whether keto is good for long-term weight loss, keeping it off. Also questions about cholesterol and the difference between low-carb diets and keto diets. And then after the q and I'll tell you why you may want to load up on apples, blueberries, and pears. The big benefit that they offer that may help more than half of all adults in the U.S. and hundreds of millions of others worldwide. But first, keto, the answer to your weight loss prayers or a devilish disease in disguise. Lee, how you living? I'm doing great. How many studies did you look at for your review? I mean, the review itself, there were more than 120. Um, so it was a team effort. So I didn't look at every single study myself because I pulled in experts in different areas to work on some of that. But I looked at a whole mess of them. So, you know, it was a lot. It was a lot. And something that you all need to know about Lee is she works harder than so many people that I know. I mean, like we're talking like the top 1% of hard workers. Um, so when she looks at this data, I'm telling you, she is going through it with a fine tooth comb, coming back and going back over it with a magnifying glass, then bringing out that comb again and looking a third time. And that's how she crunches her numbers. She is that in depth. That's embarrassingly um, but, true. <laughs> but Lee, uh, no, I'm dead serious about this people. Um, in the press release that was sent out with um, your review. I mean, you issued a very stern rebuke. You said, quote, that keto was a disease promoting disaster. That is a heck of a rebuke. Is that a statement that you arrived at lightly? Um, no, but I will say this. It was the typically consumed keto diet because I can already hear some people who are eating vegan keto and not that doesn't look anything like the regular keto diet. So I see you, I hear you and we can talk to you, but yeah, it is. The way most people are eating a keto diet is just, it's it's an, it's an a mess. It's an unqual unqualified disaster. It really is in terms of long-term chronic disease risk. And in some cases, short-term side effects. It's just not an overall healthy way to eat. And I, matter of fact, I do see some questions starting to come in about vegan keto diets. So we will be getting to that. But let's start with the question from Antonia. She's the one that was wondering about heart attacks. She said, are you more likely to have a heart attack on the keto diet because of all the fat that you're eating? That is an excellent question. It is something of a roll of the dice, but the answer is quite possibly, right? So I just want to go through a couple of um, some of the studies that have looked at this. So typically when you lose weight, you're lower, you lower your cholesterol, right? So you lower your total cholesterol on average by about one kilogram, um, by about two milligrams per deciliter 
or two units for every kilogram of weight that you lose, right? So that's what you would expect. You would expect someone loses weight that their total cholesterol would drop. Now, this is a study that has been ongoing and done recently. It was a one-year continuous care ketogenic diet intervention. And they looked at 262 folks. Um, these are people with diabetes. And what they did was they put them on an intensive keto diet along with lots and lots of support. And they found that um, in that one year, people's body weight dropped 13 kilograms, right? Or about 30 pounds. So 13, let's just say that's 14 kilograms. And we'd expect their cholesterol to drop every, you know, two milligrams per kilo. So for 28, we expect their cholesterol to come down by about 28 milligrams per deciliter. Um, but in fact, their total cholesterol, despite that weight loss, went up by 8.1 milligrams per deciliter. And their bad or LDL cholesterol went up by 10%. Again, that's not what we would expect to see in a diet where you're losing an average of 14 kilograms or 30 pounds, right? That's a significant weight loss. So it looks like people's heart disease risk is actually going not in a direction you want it to go. Now there was some improvement in their HDL. So I don't want to make it, you know, I want to represent it the way that is fair, but it's a, it's very concerning considering the effects of LDL in terms of heart disease risk. And what's extra scary to me personally is that for some people, the devil's really in the details here. When you look at the average, you're like, well, maybe it's not so dangerous, but for some people it can be incredibly dangerous, right? So Okay, an example. So this was a study that was published way back in 2004, way back. So we had, um, again, this is looking at a ketogenic diet. And what they found was that one participant, and if you want to know the details, okay, let's see, I'll go, I'll go back and look at it, right? It's 24 weeks long, so long enough to, you know, start showing some difference. Um, and it was comparing a keto diet to a low fat diet. And again, I put air quotes around low fat for people who are listening, because it was really about 30% of calories from fat, which is what most Americans are eating. So it's really not much of a difference relative to usual diet. Um, but people on the keto diet lost on average more weight. Um, but here's the scary part. 30% of the people who were losing weight had substantial bad cholesterol increases, right? Greater than 10%. Again, we would expect that to go the other direction when you lose weight. But in this case, the bad cholesterol was going up despite the weight loss. One participant had their LDL go from 182, which is, you want it under 100, fun fact, 182 when they started to 219 milligrams per deciliter. This is just the bad cholesterol now. A second person had their LDL rise by almost 100 points from 184 to 283. These are just really dangerous levels. And a third person during the study developed chest pain, was diagnosed with coronary heart disease and had to stop the study. So are you more likely to have heart problems on a keto diet? Um, particularly, first off, I would say yes, with the caveat that if you are losing weight and genetically maybe you have a predisposition to being able to resist this type of diet style better, maybe you won't. But on the whole, I just, those are dice you don't want to roll because you don't know what group you're going to fall in. Ooh, that, that's a good quote. Right Sorry, there. that was a long answer. That. I'm going to put that on the podcast. Short that well done. Uh, the podcast, by the way, comes out uh, tomorrow uh, if you want the uh, audio replay. So go ahead and look for the exam room by the Physicians Committee on Apple Podcast or Spotify. Hit that subscribe button and leave a five-star review if you wouldn't be so kind. Um, so Charlie's got a follow-up to what it was that you were just saying here. Okay. And this is a really good one. I know that you just went over a number of these reasons in detail, but there still is this per pervasive myth that if you lose weight, everything magically falls into place. So can we take a little bit more time and talk about why that is not necessarily going to be the case? Because his question is straight up, like, how can keto be so unhealthy when weight loss is considered to be such a healthy thing? Okay, well, a couple, wow, there's so much playing into this, right? So the first thing is that Keto diets are not any better than any other diet style when it comes to long-term weight loss. There is, we have solid data from lots and lots of trials that it, there's no magical, you know, keto weight loss formula. Like it, it scores the same as other diets in terms of giving people lasting weight loss, which is unfortunately not terribly well. And here's the other thing. When people are losing weight on a keto diet, as we just discussed, they can end up actually having their markers go in the wrong direction. So they're having markers that will increase that are linked to increased risk of like having a heart attack that are happening while they're losing weight. So losing weight is not always by any means is not always going to fix problems. 
Um, the other piece here is that a lot of people go on a keto diet because they want that rapid weight loss, right? They're like, oh, I'm going to get on there and I'm going to lose weight super fast. I'm going to fit into my whatever pants I want to wear. The problem is most of the weight that is lost initially on a ketogenic diet, and we have a really cool metabolic ward study that, that showed this definitively. Most of that weight lost comes from lean tissue, which is your muscle, and from fluid, not fat. The exact opposite is true. When you lose weight on a low-fat, whole-food, plant-based diet, you're losing predominantly fat, not muscle and water. So people see the numbers on the scale drop, and they're like, oh, boy, I lost weight. And they did, but they actually didn't lose fat. So if you want to lose water and fluid, you too can go on a keto diet and see a quick loss in that. But if you want to lose actual fat, which is what most people are going for, that's where you'd want to do it on a low-fat, whole-food, plant-based diet. And the other piece is, if you're eating a plant-based diet, you're improving your chronic disease risk profile versus on a keto diet, you are actually dragging it down. And we're going to get into that. I'm fairly certain throughout this podcast. So I don't want to, I don't want to spill all the beans at once, but uh, I, it is not inherently a good thing to do to lose weight on a keto diet. Asked and answered. Uh, more to come on that, no doubt. Uh, but let's switch gears and talk about something that a lot of people who are struggling with their weight also have, and that is diabetes. Uh, we have a question here from uh, Maya who wants to know, can keto reverse diabetes the same way that a plant-based diet would? Well, again, this is gonna this is a gray area, and this is why we did this review, because not everything here is absolutely cut and dry. So can it reverse diabetes? Anything that induces substantial weight loss, substantial lasting weight loss can improve diabetes and quote unquote reverse it. There's conflict in the healthcare profession in general of like, can you say it's reversed or is it in remission? I'm going to go ahead and say reversed here, but we can all, we can argue about whether we want to say that's remission. Cause if you go back to eating the way you were, you would go back to getting diabetes. Okay. Can you make it effectively go away so that your blood numbers look good with keto? Yeah, you can. Um, if, if you have lost a substantial amount of weight. Now, why does that work? Because to actually fix diabetes, you need to get at the root cause of diabetes. Well, what is the root cause of diabetes? Well, we don't know. The symptom is high blood sugar, right? But is that the cause? No, the cause of diabetes is actually fat buildup inside the muscle and liver cells where it does not belong. It basically blocks the action of the hormone called insulin that lowers your blood sugar. So what you need to do to really fix diabetes is to clean the fat out of your muscle and liver cells. And how can you do that? One, weight loss, substantial weight loss by any means, or two, a low-fat, whole-food, plant-based diet. And in some studies, that's been found to occur independent of weight loss. So that's pretty impressive in that if you wanted – okay. I don't want to get too far ahead of myself. So we'll leave it there for that. The other thing that a keto diet will do by basically almost eliminating glucose intake is it certainly will lower blood sugar levels, right? You're getting almost no carbohydrate in. Your blood sugar is going to go much lower than it was, but you haven't necessarily fixed the underlying diabetes because even if you were to eat like a serving of beans or something like a sweet potato, an incredibly healthy carb that's good for long-term health, if you haven't fixed that underlying problem, you've just masked it with a keto diet, your blood sugar is going to go right back up as soon as you bite into you know, a healthy plant-based food. So this is why you can say, does it help? A, does, does a keto diet help diabetes? For most people, what it'll do is mask the symptoms, but it's not going to fix the underlying problem. The rare exceptions for people who lose substantial amounts of weight and keep it off by a keto diet, they may actually see some resolution in terms of some of the underlying risk factors. But I will also say this, the number one killer in people with diabetes is actually heart disease. And that's where keto diets are a big risk. They're a risk. So I really don't recommend this for people with diabetes. Well, here's the thing. When when Maya sent in this question, all right, she she had a caveat with it. And it was based off of a discussion that she had had with her friend who had also seen some of Dr. Barnard's previous videos where he talks about fat building up in the muscle, you know, intramyocellular lipid. And she's like, well, look, you know, what I understand about keto is that it actually burns fat. It makes it harder for the body to store fat. So if the body is in fact burning fat and therefore the muscles can't store fat, does that still then make you less likely to have diabetes because it's not built up in there? Anything that makes you burn your fat reserves 
again, that's where I say weight loss by any means, anything that makes you burn your fat reserves is going to help in terms of improving diabetes. But keto doesn't magically make you burn your fat reserves more because what are you eating in your diet? Huge amounts of fat, right? So whether you're getting your fat from your reserves or from your diet, a body that's not getting enough calories is going to start burning its fat reserves. So I kind of see where she's coming from, but also there's just that there's a misunderstanding that you're not burning your fat when you're losing weight by some other method. Well, of course you are. Absolutely. When your body doesn't get all the calories it needs, it goes to your fat stores. That's what they're there for. Roger that. All right. So we're talking about calories here, but let's talk about nutrients, right? This is a good question from Kofi. What nutrients are missing from the typical keto diet? What nutrients aren't missing from the typical (laughs) keto diet? It's a lot of nutrients. So I will say the one that we can say, well, Chuck, you can probably guess what nutrient would you think would be available on a keto diet? Which one do you think you actually wouldn't really need to worry about probably? Oh, the keto diet is just loaded with, um, Animal products. Mm, mm, animal products. Yeah, yeah, no, no. Okay, there's I'll no fiber. You. There's nothing. I mean, you, really, there's just no <laughs> Come fiber. Come on, man. B12. I'm playing the game. I, I'm playing the game, Lee. I know. You're so good. All right. So B12 is the one you don't probably wouldn't need to worry about because this diet for as typically consumed, and I know there's vegan keto, but is typically, you know, a very animal focused, animal product focused diet. Um, but the nutrients that do tend to be missing thiamine, folate, vitamin A, vitamin E, vitamin B6, calcium, magnesium, um, potassium. Oh, and the big one, my favorite, fiber, right? You're eating a whole bunch of eggs and cream and meat, and you're cutting out all your whole grains and your beans and your fruits and a lot of your vegetables. Where are you getting your fiber? Yeah, you're not. So the problem is that your colon cells, uh, they need fiber. Um, but what they really need it for is to feed the good bacteria that live down in the colon and give your colon cells the things they need to be happy. Um, so this is crazy to me. And, and it was it was in the in the paper. And my colleague, uh, Megan Jardine, is actually the one that brought this up. So there are something fibers that are known as microbiota accessible carbohydrates, right? So those are fibers that pass through your digestive system and go down to the large intestine, which is right before the colon, which is right before you go to the bathroom, right? And those microbiota accessible carbohydrates, they're found in plant cell walls. And here's the thing, if you don't get enough of them, you could end up with the bacteria in your large intestine taking the carbon they need to survive from the gut wall, from the mucous membrane of the gut wall. And that can actually contribute to intestinal permeability. So that's another potential risk. You're not getting the fiber you need. Your gut is gonna be very unhappy. And fun fact, not fun fact, High saturated fat intake, which we typically see on a keto diet, is also linked to increased intestinal permeability. Um, So, and then finally, for the last nutrients that are missing, a lot of those, almost all those protective phytochemicals, things like anthocyanins and flavonones, those are gone because once you take out of your diet, all those polyphenol and phytochemical rich whole plant foods. All right, Lisa, we were talking about cholesterol a little bit earlier, and we were talking about how you can see an increase in cholesterol on the keto diet. But one of the questions that we get quite a bit here on the exam room also uh, is from people who are new to a whole food plant-based diet. I shouldn't say quite a bit, but we do get these from time to time. And despite the fact that they're eating a healthier diet, they're noticing an increase in their cholesterol. So um, just to kind of play devil's advocate, Barbara here at 1219 is wondering why do triglycerides go up while losing weight on a whole food plant-based diet? And is that normal? So good question on triglycerides. Often what will happen, a couple things are linked with triglyceride rise. Um, Number one is increasing particularly refined carbohydrates. So things that would be not so much your whole food sources of carbohydrates, but white flour or white pasta or, you know, white bread or anything with added sugars. Those are technically low fat and they're technically plant-based. So a lot of people will increase their intake of those foods just because they're like, okay, what do I eat? You know, well, this, the sandwich is, you know, it's low fat and it's vegan. I'm going to do that. So oftentimes triglycerides will rise because people have increased their intake of refined carbohydrates. So if you're finding that that's an issue for you, what you'll want to do is change out those refined carbohydrates for <clears throat> whole like as intact of a whole food as you can. So right, even better than like a whole wheat bread would be to eat whole wheat, like bulgur wheat or wheat berries um, or or spelt or quinoa or millet, anything that's in its whole form, that's a biggie. Um, 
somewhat unrelated, but relevant to triglycerides, um, alcohol also can raise triglycerides. So a good way to bring your triglycerides down if you're having a drink every now and again, which for cancer risk, please don't. But if you are, you might want to dial that back because that can also raise triglycerides. So I'm not surprised because the carbohydrate intake does go up quite a bit that you would see a rise in triglycerides, even if you're eating the healthiest carbs. But what you're also going to see in almost everyone is the bad cholesterol, the LDL cholesterol, which is the biggest risk factor in terms of heart disease, that's going to fall. And in many cases, it falls dramatically. So a little rise in triglycerides trading off for a big drop in LDL and total cholesterol. I'm, I'm good with that. So you look at 120 some odd studies for this review, plenty of others that uh, were left on the editing room floor. I'm wondering if gut microbiome was included in any of those because Colleen at 1222 is wondering what the effect of the keto diet would be on gut microbiome. We actually left a whole bunch of that on the cutting room floor because you you have very strict word limits here. Um, so I'm going to try and give it the best summary that I can, because like I said, my my colleague Megan Jardine is our resident gut flora expert. Um, <clears throat> but as you can imagine, oh, I'm pulling from my mental files here, I believe there were changes in that diets that are higher in fat and animal protein and lower in fiber are linked to changes in the gut microbiome that are associated with poor health outcomes. I know that's kind of generic, but that is that was the takeaway from what we had. Um, so yeah, it's going to do as you would expect, right? It's going to not do good things for your gut microbiome when you take out most of the plant foods in the diet. So again, those plant foods are sources of the fiber that you're gut microbes need to make something called, ironically, short chain fatty acids, which sounds like, oh, isn't that fat? Isn't that what we're eating? No, these are very different. They are produced from the fiber that makes it down to your large intestine and colon. And again, the, what that fiber does is feed the good bacteria that are in your large intestine, which then feed and nourish the cells of your large intestine. So if you're not getting enough fiber, which generally one is not on a ketogenic diet, um, that's going to have detrimental effects on the on the zoo in your poo. <laughs> oh boy, that reminds me of the podcast that uh, <laughs> you and I did about the side effects of keto, where you uh, introduced me to the term disaster pants. Yes. Oh um, boy, we haven't even gotten into disaster pants. No, that's, that's no, no, we, we we have not. But uh, maybe <laughs> maybe we will. Um, but uh, a serious follow up here from Colleen. This is another good one. Yeah. Uh, she's like, well, let's talk about TMAOs. Aren't those then out of control on a keto diet? Yeah, very likely they are. Absolutely. So the bugs that are going to produce that most effectively, you're going to be feeding them with all those high saturated fat, animal protein foods. So yeah, you would expect that. I did not see data on that specifically because I don't know that it's actually been analyzed or I haven't seen the study where it has been, but absolutely. You would certainly expect that TMAO levels would rise on a keto diet. All right. Let's take a question from Sophia here. We were talking about the side effects. She's wondering, is it possible to get the quote unquote keto flu when eating a vegan keto diet? So I love this question. The answer is we don't know because there really has only been one study that I know of on regular keto flu. Um, and that was a study done with online users. So we don't have good data. I would expect, here's my hypothesis. I would expect that Yes, you could still get keto flu because many of those symptoms are just coming from your body changing its fuel from glucose over to, you know, beta hydroxybutyrate and all the other um, ketones, but beta hydroxybutyrate being the primary one that your body uses. So some of that is just going to be, hey, I'm switching over into burning ketones from burning my preferred fuel, which is glucose. So that's going to make some people feel lousy all by itself. I would expect that those symptoms would be decreased on a vegan keto diet because people are still going to be eating a little bit more um, of, I would assume, fiber if they're focusing more on <clears throat> nuts and seeds and avocados. So they're not going to have so much of the constipation issues. They're probably not going to be sort of <clears throat> pushing a lot of the medium chain triglycerides, although they might. And that's where the disaster pants comes in. But that's a whole nother thing. Um, so I would assume lesser. Oh, and they're going to have a lower load of things like persistent organic pollutants and any of these other bioaccumulating pollutants that you would find in high concentrations in animal fats. If you're sticking to vegetable fats, you would expect that you would not see that. And I don't know if that contributes to people feeling lousy, but it might. 
Uh, Julia, which diet is better for long-term weight loss? Keto diet or plant-based or something else? The answer, unfortunately, is we don't have a ton of data on that in terms of clinical trials. And what we do have has sort of showed that diets are pretty much equivalent, which is why it's so important, in my opinion, if you're going to go on a weight loss diet, go on one that supports your overall health while you're on that diet. Because this is where I worry about keto and the increase in disease risk and potential increases in things like cancer when people are eating more processed meat and that kind of thing. Um, but we don't have good data on that in the clinical trial realm. What we do have good data on is looking at epidemiologically what people eat and what their weight looks like. And if you look at some of these Adventist health study studies, you, what you see is that as people eat fewer animal products, their weight decreases in stair-step fashion. I should say their body mass index, which is basically just a calculation based on weight and height. So the people, and that's controlling for things like exercise and other lifestyle factors. So what you're seeing is that out there in the real world, when people are just eating, not in the context of a study, we see very consistently, I believe the EPIC trial also showed this, that people who eat plant-based tend to have a lower body mass index. And can I make one plug since we're back in the middle of a COVID Delta variant surge? Can I can I bring up some cool new data with COVID-19? You got the mic. Oh, great. So they recent, uh, recently published study, although they looked at, this is a study of healthcare workers <clears throat> that um, they looked at them from June to September of 2020. And this is healthcare workers from six different countries. Hold on, I have a note on the countries because I thought this was so fascinating and a little scary. France, Germany, Italy, Spain, UK, and the United States. Um, so healthcare workers, this is obviously pre-vaccine. They're going to have higher exposure than most people. And what they found was that those following plant-based diets had a 73% lower odds of moderate to severe COVID-19 disease, right? Those eating pescatarian only had a 59% lower odds. But here's the thing. They also looked at people who had combined low carb and high protein intake. Now, a keto diet is not necessarily high protein, although it's definitely low carb, but in practice, it often is high protein as well. That low carb, high protein group had more than three times the odds of moderate to severe COVID-19 than the plant-based eaters did. So, wow, that's a big deal. If you want to, you know, in addition to certainly all the public health measures, you know, vaccine and masking and all the things that are just recommended to protect yourself, this is another way that you can help to reduce your risk of getting that really, you know, intense, I might need to go to the hospital kind of COVID. I'm glad that you you touched on kind of the the intricacies of low carb diets and and keto diets and protein and and stuff there because Lance actually uh, has a good question about what is the difference then between low carb diets and the keto diet. Oh, that is I love that question because there is like well isn't a keto diet the same thing as a low carb? <clears throat> Ketogenic diets are actually a subgroup of a larger umbrella of low carb diets. So. Any diet that contains below the like minimum, the sort of RDA or recommended dietary allowance for carbohydrate um, is considered low carb. That RDA is simply based on the amount of carbohydrate needed in the day to prevent the vast majority of people from starting to produce ketones and go into ketosis. Um, ketosis is just the state you enter when your body is producing ketones because it is not getting the glucose it needs to run its um, major glucose requiring organs like your brain. So that's important. So you, so the interesting thing is, all right, 130 grams per day is that sort of RDA limit for what counts as a low carb diet. So anything under 130 grams of carbs per day qualifies as low carb. A keto diet, you're bringing your carb intake all the way down to 50 grams per day. So that's a very small amount. That's like 200 calories or so of carbohydrate in the day. That's it. Anything below that reliably induces <clears throat> the production of ketones in most people. And that's why that is considered to be a keto diet. The interesting thing here is that when you are on a keto diet, most people also make them high protein diets, right? They're eating a lot of meat, they're eating chicken, they're eating, you know, dairy products and fish and all these things. But what's interesting is that those higher protein diets actually slow ketosis, right? Because your body's not just taking all that protein and turning it into muscle, which is what I think a lot of people think happens. On a keto diet, your body's taking all that protein, using the very bare minimum that it needs to, to rebuild muscle tissue, and then it's turning the rest into 
glucose, which is the exact thing they're trying to avoid in their diet. But by eating all that extra protein, they're actually increasing their body's production of glucose because some of those building blocks of protein, which are called amino acids, can be converted right into sugar in your body. So fun fact, for everyone who thinks they're really in a you know keto diet place and eating lots of, of protein, they're actually decreasing the amount of ketones that their body produces and increasing the amount of sugar their body produces. Edith, I see your question. We're going to come to it next, but you just mentioned glucose. So I want to bump Susan right above that. She wants to know what the long-term risks are of depriving the body of glucose. Oh, gracious. Well, it's hard to know. It's hard to tease those apart. Well, here's the first problem. We don't really have much long-term data on ketogenic diets at all, particularly in adults. What data we do have is from kids with pediatric epilepsy usually. Um, So we just, we don't know, which is a scary thing to just be like, oh, well, what the heck, we'll just try it. Um, but what what we've seen in terms of, we can look at sort of the broader literature and take a look at what's happening, what happens when you, what are the, okay, first off, what are the primary sources of glucose in the diet? Well, <clears throat> it, for healthy people, they would be things like beans and whole grains and fruits and starchy vegetables, right? That's where you're getting glucose from on a healthy, for example, like a whole food plant-based diet. Um, what happens to your health when you cut those foods out, right? And of course, you're certainly decreasing glucose and depriving your body of that. Um, but what else are you taking with it? You're taking all the fiber, all the vitamins and minerals we talked about. You're taking out all the protective phytochemicals that can help reduce the risk of things like cancer and Alzheimer's disease. You're basically eliminating the foods that are most associated with decreased chronic disease risk. So that is going to suggest just basic induction or inductive logic that you are going to end up with a higher chronic disease risk for things that you don't really want. Things like colorectal cancer, maybe breast cancer, Alzheimer's disease. So I would consider that to be one of the long-term risks. I will also say we do know that people who are eating diets that are low in carbohydrate, they may not qualify for you know ketogenic diet, but keto certainly falls in this category. They have an increased risk of dying from all causes. So that's a pretty big side effect right there with the exception of if they're getting their fat and protein from plant sources instead. So that's where it's like, well, maybe keep plant-based keto. We don't know. We don't have those studies, but it certainly appears to be less bad than a standard keto diet. Um, And I will, this is another one, particularly for women of reproductive age, right? About 40% of pregnancies in the U.S. of recent, in recent studies have, are not planned. Um, and women who are following carbohydrate restricted diets of which keto is the most extreme version are 30% more likely to have an infant with a neural tube defect. What are those? Um, one is called anencephaly where the brain basically fails to form almost entirely or spina bifida where the, um, spinal cord can actually, it doesn't close properly and can bubble out and can lead to some very severe effects down the road. Um, Folic acid is one of the things that people take to try and prevent this. But even when they control for folic acid intake, women who are eating these low carb diets are are still, still at an increased risk of having an infant with a neural tube defect. So that gives me major palpitations in terms of, wow, women don't even know that this risk is here. And it's because this diet is so popular for weight loss and so widely promoted for it. Um, Again, we might be also looking at worsened heart disease and impaired artery function, just even in the short term, when people eat higher fat diets and higher saturated fat diets, it can actually injure injure artery walls. So for so many reasons, long-term and short-term, these are just not safe diets to be on. They're just not for the vast majority of people. Well, let's let's take this question from Edith. Uh, we've talked a lot about a lot of different things. Haven't talked much about uh, the brain yet. This is a really interesting question. Uh, the keto diet, obviously full of fat. Edith at 1223 is wondering, is it true that your brain cannot burn fat for energy? Oh, good question. When you are eating a normal balanced diet, your brain will not burn fat for energy and your brain cannot burn fat directly for energy the way your muscles can, Right. So it gets a little complicated with the metabolism, but your muscles can burn fat in the form of free fatty acids, basically as it's liberated from your fat cells, your brain can't. So it has to either run on glucose, which is, you know, blood sugar or a substitute because if you say you, again, we look at ketosis, it's actually sort of, it's our body's biological emergency backup system for when we don't have enough food 
when we're eating a keto diet, what people are doing is kind of trying to trick their body into thinking, oh, it's an emergency all the time. Um, but it's basically designed for when you don't have enough glucose in your blood. So what happens? You, your brain has to keep functioning, right? Or the whole organism. So what your body does is takes the fats from your fat stores, it pushes them into the liver and uses those fats to make ketones. And those ketones are actually the alternative fuel that your brain uses to run on. So your brain can't directly run on fat. The workaround, the loophole is that it can run on ketones and that's what your body will take the fat from your diet or if you're not getting as enough calories to maintain your weight from your fat stores and turn those into ketones so that your brain can stay online. But it's a, your body does not want that. Again, like I mentioned, if you eat even just a little extra protein over what you need for tissue repair, your body will happily turn that into glucose as much as possible before it'll go and utilize ketones. I want to eat whatever it is that you're eating identically because whatever it is is working for your brain very well. Uh, <laughs> you are sometimes silly I smart. wonder. Good glory. Uh, Donna Green Goodman just wants to say hi, Lee. So, oh, uh, hi, Donna. Yeah. Uh, also, Tofu <laughs> Tuesday wants to wish everybody a happy Wednesday. A uh, little bit of irony there. Um, Harper, here's a good question. Harper, can keto help to prevent Alzheimer's? I believe I saw a study that say that it can. And how does that capability compare then to a plant-based diet? Oh, keto and Alzheimer's is fascinating. So I know of zero studies that will sh that show that keto can prevent Alzheimer's disease. What keto diets can do, and particularly what supplements of ketones, pharmacological supplements of ketones have been shown to do, is to prop up a brain that is no longer functioning well. And here's what I mean. So key, um, sorry. So Alzheimer's disease has been called at some points type three diabetes. And you're like, what? Type three diabetes. Basically the brain loses its ability to properly metabolize glucose. It is insulin resistant effectively. So that some people are genetically predisposed to that. <clears throat> a lifetime of less than optimal food habits doesn't help. Um, so what happens is that, so now the brain can't run on glucose anymore. What's it going to run on? What did we just talk about, right? It's going to try and find a loophole workaround. And what it can run on is ketones. So if someone has like an advanced dementia, advanced Alzheimer's disease, and you provide their brain with ketones that it can use as a source of energy instead of glucose, then what you find is that people will have a temporary improvement in symptoms. So for, there's some studies that are very cool in terms of, oh, they give people like a supplement of ketones. They don't necessarily, it's very hard to get someone uh, with dementia to eat enough, much less to eat a keto diet. So they'll put them on supplements and they will see some temporary improvements in some brain function tests. The problem with that is people think, wow, well, if if these ketones can treat the symptoms of Alzheimer's disease, then if I eat a keto diet, I will be prevented from getting it. That's the catch because unfortunately, what goes up on a keto diet, saturated fat intake typically, what goes down, whole grains, legumes, fruits, vegetables, all that is a disaster when it comes to the risk for Alzheimer's disease when we look at the sort of I say epidemiological literature where we just look at what people eat and watch over time if they get a disease or not. That's an exact diet style that would be likely to increase, the keto diet would be likely to increase the risk of Alzheimer's disease as it is typically consumed. As we're talking about things with the brain, uh, have you ever heard of doctors prescribing the keto diet for someone who has a brain tumor? We have uh, Fabi in the chat who's wondering about that. So there have been some questions about, believe I'm a little rusty on this, so I apologize in advance. Um, I believe it's glio, gliomas or glioblastomas. Um, again, the thought is, wow, because brain cells function predominantly, well, um, they have to have glucose or a substitute. If we starve the cancer of glucose, then it will not reproduce and the person will live. So of course, if this worked <clears throat> in general, we would have a cure for cancer and I would not be sitting here saying like, oh, let's be careful. Um, um, unfortunately, as I've seen the, the sort of general cancer data, we don't have good trials of keto diets. The trials we do have do not tend to show any survival benefit. Um, and this is looking at brain tumors as well as other types of tumors. And again, these are very tiny trials. We're talking like single digits, maybe into double digits for number of participants. Um, 
But what they've shown is again, not, no particular survival advantage. I would, I'd want to go back and look over the sort of the brain tumors to make sure that those, I don't think there were survival advantages seen in most of those studies. There really weren't in most of the other types of cancer studies. What they did find were some advantages in terms of maintaining like lean muscle mass while people were in chemotherapy. So, and again, this is still very early data. It's too early to make any kind of clinical recommendations, but it's interesting and I'm keeping an eye on it just because it's, you know, it's fascinating and watch, looking at the biology behind it. So no, I don't think we have definitive data on a ketogenic diet for brain tumors. Um, I, I will keep an eye on that literature myself because it's fascinating and wow, imagine if a diet change could fix a brain tumor. Like I think we would all be on board with that. Um, unfortunately, we don't have data suggesting at this time that that's possible, but wow, I hope there's more research in that, in that area. I just want to share with you a comment uh, from Natalie. Uh, she says, I appreciate how honestly is she is not making stuff up just to have something just to have something to say. If she does not have the information, she says, I don't know. That is so refreshing. Thank Aww, you. Um, there's so, so much I don't know. <laughs> But but in in all seriousness, let me ask you this, right? So we we live in a world right now where everybody kind of has their line drawn in the sand, and everybody wears their bias very clearly, very prominently on their sleeve. But you um, err on the side of credibility, like that's that's important to you. So where does this integrity come from when it could be so easy just to take the science and manipulate the numbers to arrive at the conclusion that you would want? I mean, I guess that's the, the nature of science is we all come to things with a lens. Like, I'll be clear, like I have my own lens and because I'm aware of it, I really try to make sure like, okay, now if I were someone who was convinced on the keto side, like how would I look at this study? What would I be, what would my takeaways be then? And just make sure that I'm trying to be as objective as I can be recognizing that we're all human beings and we all come to this with our lenses. The funny thing is I actually came to plant-based nutrition totally thinking it was nuts. <laughs> Just full disclosure. What was it? 10, 11 years ago now? Oh boy, let's not talk about how old I am. Um, I thought like a plant-based diet, you don't get B12. Like that's crazy. Why would anybody do that? And then it was the science that actually brought me around because you can't escape it. The science is so convincing. Um, but at the same time, I want to make sure that my mind is open enough that if something comes in or if this kind of diet style is really useful for something, which it is, by the way, drug resistant seizures, absolutely a ketogenic diet. We have good evidence that it can reduce seizure frequency in people with drug resistant epilepsy. Um, but if there are other conditions where this looks like, wow, this really, this, the benefits outweigh the risks, you know, I'm, 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 I'm looking at it. I'm, I'm not going to say anything. If it does, let's, let's hear it. Let's get that out there too. All right, a couple more uh, as we wrap things up real quick. We have a question from Pete. Uh, without more long-term studies, how confident are you in your conclusions here today? Well, I, as confident as one can be in look with what we have. So what I do feel really confident about is that a whole food plant-based diet style, we have some really good data on that. We have some long-term data and we have the other thing that I like, it's very consistent data. It all points in the same direction, right? It points in the direction of reduced risk of cancers, particularly colon cancer and reproductive cancer, but some other cancers. It points in the direction of reduced risk of heart disease. And in some cases, being able to reverse some of those atherosclerotic lesions that come with heart disease. It points in the direction of reduced risk of getting diabetes and improving diabetes once you have it. These all, they're all pointing in, like when all the data points in the same direction or point in the same direction, that's when I can feel pretty confident that, okay, this diet style is safe and good for long-term use. In terms of ketogenic diets, we just, we, you know, we don't really have enough to say, and there are a lot of red flags, right? We don't have good long-term clinical trials saying, hey, this is safe for long-term use. We do have a lot of red flags. Wow, the foods that increase intake on a ketogenic diet are associated with increased risk of things like heart disease in the epidemiological literature, increased risk of colon cancer, increased risk of breast cancer, some like high fat dairy and saturated fat in general. So there are a ton of red flags when it comes to, hey, this diet might increase long-term disease risk. So I feel confident in saying that it is, it's a risky diet style for most people. Yeah, I feel confident in that based on my review of 
the sort of body of literature as a whole. So, but if data comes in that contradicts me, I'm all about, send it my way. I'm all about taking a look at it and integrating it as needed. And Lee, we end with this because really it wouldn't be a show with you if we didn't do something kind of fun and quirky. So oh we take a question from <laughs> uh, Frank, uh, Frankie at 1240 asking, uh, what is keto crotch? What oh boy. is keto crotch? Here I'm we go. I'm actually not wildly familiar with keto crotch because perhaps unsurprisingly, there's not much data on the subject. Uh, but from my recollection, it could, there's some maybe some odiferous, odiferous issues um, for when people, you change your microbiota when you go on a keto diet. And apparently that can change the products of those microbiota in ways that can maybe change odors. Is that correct? Am I getting that right there? I'm, the I'm, I'm connecting the dots here. I'm connecting okay, that's, the dots. As I recall, but I, I, true confession that keto crotch was not part of this review paper. So I'm going to also play that card of, you know what? I'm going to have to look that one up. That is my best recollection. Wow. Did not see that one coming. Thanks a lot, Chuck. Yeah. Well, it should be your goal in life to get something published in JAMA that's got oh, keto boy. crotch in the title of the study. I'll, I I'll think that that would be awesome. Yep. Yeah. Get right on that. Mm -hmm. um, all right. So here's the deal. If we did not get to your question today, have no fear. We will save it and do our best to get you an answer on an upcoming episode, because I know that you guys had a ton of good questions about keto today and the questions lead, they're just going to keep coming. So I would love to have you back on uh, in the not too distant future so we can continue this conversation. Sure. I'd love to do it. Yeah. Thank you all for the questions. These were awesome and thought provoking. And I really appreciate y'all being here and listening. A footnote from Lee, who is forever doing nutrition research. She asked me to pass along a few other details about the keto and cholesterol intervention study that she brought up during the live show. This was the study that was published back in 2018. Now, Lee did mention that HDL and LDL and even total cholesterol increased, but she also wanted to mention that the risk of having atherosclerotic cardiovascular disease actually decreased a little bit, dropping from 11.1 down to 9.6%. However, she also accurately points out that the slightly lower number remains in the intermediate risk category, meaning that the needle didn't move all that much. But researchers believe that the small drop can be attributed to the increase in HDL or good cholesterol. And you can join us for the exam room live every Wednesday on YouTube and on Facebook. We start at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific, and this is your best opportunity to ask experts likely your questions. And you can also send me your questions ahead of time. Hit me up on Twitter or Instagram. I'm at Chuck Carroll WLC. Send me your questions and we will do our best to get you an answer on an upcoming episode. Now, when you talk about the keto diet, oftentimes somebody in the room will have a funny story to share. Such was the case with a colleague of mine recently who actually does the graphics for the show. She said the first time that she had ever heard of the keto diet was when she was still at her last job and she went out to lunch with a bunch of coworkers. And one of them was picking off the breading from a mozzarella stick and then just basically scooping up the fried cheese that was left behind and eating that. Now, she had absolutely no idea what this person was doing, but she did know that it probably wasn't the healthiest of ideas. She thought it was a little bit strange. I'm thinking like, come on, fried cheese? Healthy? Really? Eh, not so much. But then when you think about it, a lot of people, when they think about a vegan diet, they probably also think that that's a little bit strange as well. But at some point, common sense has to kick in. Even if you want to talk stereotypes that a vegan diet is nothing but salads, it doesn't take a nutrition degree to know that a salad, 99 times out of 100, is healthier than a glop of fried cheese. <laughs> 
Time now to take a trip to the exam room news desk for a nutrition nugget that you can sink your teeth into. Apples, blueberries, pears, what do they have in common? Well, other than being delicious fruit, they are also loaded with flavanols. And that means they are blood pressure powerhouses. A new study finds that foods that are packed with flavanols can help to curb hypertension. Flavonoid-rich foods such as apples, berries, and pears can lower blood pressure according to a study published online in the journal Hypertension. Researchers looked at the gut microbiome for more than 900 people, comparing their blood pressure with the amount of flavonoid-rich foods that they were eating. Findings show that those who were eating the most tended to have lower systolic blood pressure. Similar results were discovered among red wine drinkers as well. Researchers say the blood pressure benefits may be related to the healthy changes in gut bacteria diversity. Another dietitian I spoke to about this study basically summed it up really well. She said, well, look, this is yet another reason to eat the rainbow. You eat the rainbow and you get that gut bacteria diversity that is so beneficial here. And you can find a link to the study in the episode notes. And now that we've raised our health IQs together, let's all help to make the world a healthier place. And one of the easiest ways that you can do it, pay forward that knowledge that you have learned today, is just by subscribing to the Exam Room Podcast by the Physicians Committee on Apple Podcast or Spotify, wherever you get your favorite shows. And when you subscribe, please also leave a five-star rating. This is critical. Please also leave a five-star rating and bonus points for a nice review. It's not about bragging. It's not about climbing higher in the rankings just to say that we're number one. It's because every five-star rating and good review helps to get this information to the people who need it the most. Those who think that they can do absolutely nothing about their health. Well, let's get this information to them and inspire them and hopefully get them on a healthier path to a new life. And I want to thank you in advance for helping us do just that. And for today, that is going to wrap things up. I want to say thank you one more time to Lee Crosby, better known as the Fiber Queen, for joining us here today. And for everyone here at the Physicians Committee, I am the weight loss champion, Chuck Carroll. Thank you so very much for listening. And remember, as always, keep it plant-based.